people would come to me companies would come to me governments would come and reach out to me and they would say that can i use your software <laughs> to run our event right and again i would give it to them sometimes of course sell them as a service or help them out you know if they need hey bootstrappers welcome to bootstrap stories the podcast where founders marketers and thoughtful leaders share the most actionable tips on building a successful business After meeting with hundreds of bootstrappers in the past years, I figured out that we all struggle to grow our businesses. But the truth is that most of us don't know where to ask for help or advice. That's why I decided to start this podcast, to give you all the keys to succeed at every stage of your business, all the tested strategies for solving your struggles and taking your business to a new level. No fluff, no bullshit, only a real talk between friends that help each other succeed. Today, my guest for this episode is Muhammad Yunas, founder and CEO at VFairs. Yunas, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you for having me, G. I'm super excited uh, to you know, ask you a lot of questions when it comes to your growth, what you've accomplished in a very short amount of time. So before we get started, can you maybe give an introduce uh, and introduce yourself and give an introduction about your company and what you do at VFairs? Sure. Uh, so... Yeah, I'm the CEO and founder of uh, VFairs. Uh, VFairs help companies run events of any kind, um, online, hybrid, or in-person. And we help them achieve uh, business results uh, with stellar customer support. Uh, we started as uh, a company who would help uh, organizations uh, primarily run online and digital events. Um, but over the past uh, you know, uh, one, one year, we have also uh, pivoted to both hybrid and in-person events as well. That's really interesting. And uh, what's kind of uh, your RRR today, uh, annual recurring revenue or number of total clients? So uh, we are at a $30 million ARR as nice. of now. Uh, we uh, help over 2,000 plus companies at the moment uh, with, with, their, uh, with their events. So you're focusing mainly, and by the way, that's like really impressive. <laughs> so congrats. Uh, and you're focusing mainly on uh, enterprise accounts. Primarily on the mid-market and enterprise accounts, uh, yeah. So what's typically like the average uh, deal size and what you do you like? Uh, yeah, so average deal size is uh, roughly around uh, 15,000 uh, US dollars, um, between 15 to 20,000 US dollars for mid-market is 15, for the enterprises 20, 20 plus, um, yeah, somewhere in between. Nice. And uh, how many employees? Uh, we are uh, 267 employees um, as of today. That's uh, impressive. You have the, the right number for me. I'm always uh, <laughs> changing a little bit. Uh, and uh, how fast was the growth since uh, 2016? Was uh, kind of like COVID helping you boost like the organization of events or how exactly did it go? Yeah. So see, uh, uh, when we started back in 2016, we were already growing 50% to 100% year on year from a small okay. base all the way leading up to pandemic. So we were already a profitable company, growing company, you know, company with a lot of happy employees and happy customers. Uh, when COVID came, that just, of course, um, you know, like uh, many other players, um, you know, in the tech space, it gives us a huge boost. So we grew, um, you know, uh, 20 times uh, over, the, wow. over the next uh, <laughs> couple of years. Uh, so, yeah, we're already growing um, 50 to 100% year on year. Uh, and then the growth, literally, you know, we had a kind of a hockey stick growth uh, over the last uh, two years, uh, you know, primarily due to COVID, yeah. And that's, uh, that's did you feel like uh, after COVID, so kind of like uh, 
you know, we had, I mean, COVID is still present, obviously, but uh, less and less. Do you feel like it's uh, impacting the growth or do you feel like there is a, a huge shift in the market with more people working remote and more events being organized and held uh, online? Yeah. See, I think uh, uh, what COVID um, helped us was uh, to get uh, just amazing growth that typically no no company expect, right? No company expect to grow thousand uh, percent, you know, year on year, right? Uh, so, uh, <laughs> uh, do we feel that from this point onward, we'll have the same kind of growth that we have had last uh, couple of years? No, you know, I think anyone in the tech space, you know, would 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 feel the same way. Uh, but do we feel that uh, COVID has helped uh, the market understand the benefits of uh, online events, digital events, remote work? Um, again, you know, we we all know that now how most of the companies are not going to go back to the same kind of work environment where everyone is going to the office. Uh, the same thing is true for events also, right? So, you know, while many events will happen in person, which we also uh, assist our customers with, a lot of the events just by nature have shifted to either virtual or hybrid moving forward, right? Uh, so we expect growth in the years to come, uh, maybe not the same kind of crazy growth that we were, uh, you know, that that we, we got in the last two years, but a typical 30, 40, 50% growth that a typical SaaS company would expect. Uh, we believe that COVID has helped mature that market, uh, you know, by, by, by a lot. And I'm curious because uh, with such a growth, you probably had like uh, tons of investors reaching out during that time. Like we saw, for example, like uh, Hopin, which actually is not doing so well right now, but during like COVID got like crazy valuations, crazy multiples, etc. Was it like uh, something, uh, I mean, I'm sure like investor reach out. So what was your reasoning between behind uh, staying bootstrapped and uh, keep growing that way? Yeah, no, so uh, I think I doubt that there is uh, any known investor who would not have reached out to us. Uh, you know, uh, we <laughs> at that time uh, were very much focused on the delivery of our services that we would have already sold. We've had a very meaningful conversation with uh, at least a dozen of them. I think the challenge that uh, we uh, always uh, were facing, uh, you know, when we were talking with these investors, that first of all we just never needed money. You know, so while mm-hmm. a lot of other companies they run their they run their companies where they're losing money every single month and they need that extra cash to uh, you know to, to inject into their business, we were never looking for for the money just to run our businesses. We run business in a very unique way where our unit economics are pretty pretty well. And the second thing was uh, we are a very transparent company, and you will see that throughout the podcast, like we just didn't know uh, what will happen once the COVID would be over. And to an investor world, you know, they want to hear that, oh, by the way, even when things will go back to normal, you might still have this, you know, crazy growth, which we might still have, but, you know, no one one can guarantee, right? So I think we're, um, I'm not going to say much about hopping on that part, but I think, you know, when when you raise money with that kind of valuation, uh, I just feel that um, you know, uh, you know, it, it becomes very hard sometimes to justify those numbers, and you know, we just wanted to be uh, very transparent with whoever we were having a conversation with. So we didn't need any money. We wanted to have conversations with people who are there with us for the next three to five years to help us eventually achieve uh, again our goal of going uh, and doing an IPO, you know, over, over the next five years. Uh, and and that's why we didn't raise any money, you know, because we didn't need it. But one, and at the same time, we were not sure of what will happen after COVID, and we we were very transparent about that. Yeah, and I hundred percent agree with what you said regarding like uh, valuations, where sometimes it's very difficult to justify the numbers. And uh, we've seen a lot of examples recently. I think like uh, 
fast also you know like company raising i think 130 million dollars and making like 50k mrr uh, would just like uh, had to fire like uh, i don't know how many hundreds of employees i think it's just like uh, yeah it's just a crazy time and uh, right now yeah i do feel like being profitable is something that uh, is a superpower <laughs> so i'm also curious to know like uh, how exactly like uh, do you manage like what metrics do you look at as a bootstrap entrepreneur because obviously for you you know that you don't have like uh, unlimited funds So what are like the kind of key metrics you look at uh, to know the, the health of your business on a monthly or weekly basis? Sure. Uh, see, I, I will tell you a lot of those metrics that any typical SaaS company uh, would uh, like would monitor, including us. But if I have to pick up one um, as a start to begin with, like for us, that's really the NPS. Like for us, the only thing that matters in the bigger scheme of things is that what our customers uh, feel about our services, what do they say about us, right? So If you will just ever look uh, VFairs, uh, you know, on, on Google, if you will go and check us out on G2 or, or you know, any of these, um, you know, social review sites, uh, one thing that customers would swear upon is the great customer support that they get from VFairs, right? So they would say that not only within our industry, we are the pioneer of, of offering just stellar customer support, but in general, across the tech industry, they would say that they haven't received as amazing customer support that they, they typically get from VFairs. So for me, you know, again, you know, most of my time is being spent on how to make sure that whatever we have sold, uh, you know, the, that the customer in the end is typically happy. You know, I often say that internally to our employees that uh, we are in the tech industry, but I also want, uh, again, our employees to know that we uh, internally feel that we are also in the hospitality industry. Mm -hmm. uh, events is a very, very sensitive business. You know, in, our, our customers uh, work for weeks, months for that one day, sometimes of an event, and that one day cannot go wrong. And leading up to that event, leading up to that one, two, three day of an event, I want to make sure that customers are enjoying their journey. It's like your wedding day. It cannot go wrong. You know, it has to be the most memorable day of uh, your life, uh, in, you know, in this case, of, 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 of your work life. So NPS is the key for us internally in the company. And we are of the opinion that if our customers are happy, everything else, you know, um, you know, there will be ups and downs. It's like in any other business because of the markets out there. But, you know, we will eventually survive. You know, as far as we are running business in a sane way where we are not losing money and, you know, we are doing things in a, in a, in a possible way. Eventually, we will win. You know, it might take three years, it might take five years. Eventually, like, you know, I'm not in any hurry. You know, we are not in any hurry. Our our job is that just to support our customers uh, with with great customer support. Other than that, of course, you know, as a SaaS business, you want to see your um, again your ARR growing by on average by 40%. So the rule of 40 is what I follow. You know, can we have 40% growth and 40% profit margins? Just like that's the thing that we typically try to achieve. Nice. And uh, I'm curious because you mentioned, uh, you know, like the, the reviews, typically like uh, Google, G2, etc. So is that something you're trying to push or, uh, you know, like uh, incentivize your customers to give you reviews or what's your strategy uh, behind this? Yeah, we have never incentivized any customer to post a review about us. Um, you know, uh, the, see, these customers in most cases are coming through word of mouth and referral, right? Mm. And uh, they when they have when when we build relationship with them they realize that um you know what will help we first grow 
is a positive word of mouth through them. It can be online. It can be in any of their conversations with other similar customers. Um, but it's not that we pay them uh, $25 or $50 you know, gift cards to, to post anything about us. Like we, we, we have never done that. Um, but uh, but yeah, I think you know, when, when you have great relationship with your customer, they would ask, you know, how can I help you? And you know, we just tell them that you know, the reason that you know about WeFairs is because someone else told you about WeFairs. And we would appreciate if you can just tell other you know, companies about WeFairs as well. And that's what would encourage them to go ahead and either post it online or you know, just tell you know, in, a, in, a, in a casual conversation with other similar customers. Awesome. And uh, do you have like uh, an automated process from, let's say, like uh, you are getting like the NPS and then if uh, someone says like, uh, I would highly recommend uh, VFairs to have like something automatic that would trigger like, uh, I don't know, like uh, a G2 crowd page link or something like that? Sure. Yeah. So we, we, we have that. Uh, so basically once uh, uh, our contract with a customer is about to be finished or, or you know, once the event is about to be finished, uh, for that particular event, um, we we do tell them that by the way, you know, please uh, fill up this form, uh, give us your review. Um, again, this is more like an internal Google Doc form where where they go ahead and they mention things about we feel everything from a technology perspective, both front end and back end, uh, to how well their account manager was, how well their um, you know project manager was, and so forth. And that does trigger uh, internal emails as well as emails that will uh, encourage them to go ahead and post review. So, so that part of the entire customer lifecycle is pretty much automated. That helps fuel the entire company of the that the growth of the company. And what tool do you use, like uh, to get the NPS? Sorry, what? What tool uh, do you use? Well, yeah. well, so. Uh, uh, I honestly, I forgot the name of the tool itself, but uh, yeah, okay. again, one of those uh, widgets that you can just purchase okay. online yeah, and just and, go ahead. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. And uh, I was uh, I was curious to to understand a little bit more. You know, like uh, you have a lot of mid market and enterprise clients. Going back to uh, 2016, how exactly do you decide to go uh, and talk to these customers first? Was it part of your network uh, or was it just like a, a choice you decided from the start to uh, to go and uh, go at bigger clients? No, 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 great question. So see, just before 2016, uh, I have had built this software because I wanted to run events myself, right? So mm -hmm. I was an event organizer before 2016. Uh, and uh, when I looked uh, around, uh, you know, either sometimes I just didn't like the software that that were out there. Even if I did like the software, um, I was not happy with the customer support that that they were providing. Right, uh, and in order for me to run really great events, events that I can imagine, I just wanted to build it and run it. Uh, you know, again, you'll face a lot of just um, hesitation from the vendors that, oh, by the way, we don't have this feature. This feature will come next year. And I just didn't have that kind of patience uh, uh, to again, you know, wait uh, for a certain feature that I feel was really important for my event, uh, you know, again to be built, right? So, you know, that's why we built uh, the software. For for me, it was not that I had initially planned that I will launch free fairs. It was more about let me just build the software myself to run events of my own. And I ran almost 100 plus events, right? So for years, from 2010 till 2016, I was the event organizer, and I was just using my own software, right? Um, even at that time, when there was there were there was no VFairs and I was not even selling the software as a service, uh, people would come to me, companies would come to me, governments would come and reach out to me, and they would say that can I use your software <laughs> to run our event, right? Nice. And again, I would I would give it to them. You know, I would I would sometimes, of course, uh, you know, uh, 
you know, sell them as a service or or help them out, you know, if they need it be. And then I think by 2016, I was just confident that, you know what, okay, the software I have built is something that is, uh, that can be a market leader, you know, uh, in, 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 in the short term. And that's when we launched VFairs uh, out there. And honestly speaking, you know, I was not trying to really promote it as a business. I just launched VFairs and, you know, ran um, some, uh, you know, some, some SEO work and SEM campaigns. And I was just pretty lucky that one of my initial customers who did knock on our doors was uh, a, a, a Fortune 500 company, the leader in the FMCG industry. So they reached out to us. They said, you know, we like your website. We we like your features. Um, we would like to try out your software. So we served them, uh, again, not just with great technology, but with great customer support. And the rest is history. You know, that one uh, customer then told 10 other customers uh, that how great the product was and then how amazing the customer support was. And that till now to date uh, has helped us grow the business where we are today. Now that's, uh, that's really cool. And uh, the first clients essentially were part of your networks in the early days. Uh, and did it just spread through word of mouth or did you have to use like a other strategy to, to acquire customers? It was word of mouth primarily. And then the second strategy uh, that we did use was, uh, again, SCM and SEO. Um, okay. We didn't hire the sales team uh, at all at that point. It was all about, okay, let us just help this customer. You know, this customer will then go ahead and tell, you know, 10, 15 other customers. The word of mouth spread pretty rapidly. And then, uh, you know, just naturally any traffic that we were getting. See, back in 2016, um, you know, uh, if you would be searching for a virtual event platform or, a, you know, or, or, or a virtual job fair solution or virtual trade for solution, you know, you'll find maximum, you know, 10 other vendors, right? Right now, of course, because of COVID, there are, you know, 100 plus other vendors, but, you know, you'll always appear in most cases among the, you know, the top 10 search results, right? Uh, uh, and, and again, those forward-looking organizations who started doing virtual events at that time, uh, will will I'll go ahead and, you know, check out all of them, right? Because it didn't take much time to really see who are the top three, four, five players. And then, you know, at that point, you know, whoever is your ideal customer profile will eventually sign up with you. Uh, but I would say 50% uh, to 70% of the business was mainly word of mouth. And then the 30 to 40% was through our just online marketing uh, initiatives. Nice. That's really cool. And uh, something you mentioned, uh, as you know, like almost your first words in the podcast was our customer service is really like uh, our competitive advantage. And we want, you know, like to even be seen as, uh, you know, like a hospitality company, even though we are like a tech platform. So I'm curious, like in regarding your team structure, how many people do you have in support? How do you organize like your support team? Uh, do you have like a intercom chat or like live chat that you can use uh, directly? How, how exactly is uh, the whole setup? Yeah, and, and, and gee, uh, as I answer, I just want, I think the audience to know that, uh, see, I'm just going to reiterate what I said. Uh, see, unlike any other typical software business. And I have managed a lot of other software business as well. You know, I have managed ATS platform. I, of course, work on a CRM uh, and, and other. See, again, I just want to reiterate, events is a very serious business. You know, events is a serious business because unlike a typical software whose usage is the same throughout the year, you know, based on, you know, uh, event is very critical for the event live day because, you know, you're going to work for weeks, months for that one, two, three days of the event, right? And that's why, for us, we know that uh, our customer support just cannot be mediocre or average leading up to the event. And then, of course, on the day of the event, it has to be top-notch to begin with, right? Again, I typically, as I mentioned, I say, it's like your wedding day. It cannot go wrong. And you want to make sure that people who are 
running the event with you they they enjoy their journey rather than stressed throughout the process right so given that in mind um 60% of our company uh, is what we call post sales they're working in one form or another in customer support right uh, and we do have pretty much all types of customer support teams available so we have uh, the live chat support so that any one of our customers or their attendees or their speakers or their exhibitors if they need at any point any help at any point 365 days a year 24/7 they can get live chat support because we want to make sure that you know their one day that's about to come is a happy day right uh, and then for our customers which are direct customers the event organizers uh, other than live chat they have the ability uh, to uh, email on a very specific email address that is typically created for for that particular customer uh they have named account management team and the customer success team uh that they can also email and call right so we have live chat we have email based support and we have named account managers for all of our customers that they can call whatsapp you know whatever they wish uh so yeah this is the part where we just don't uh understaff we at any point are 20% overstaffed in our customer support because for us as i mentioned you know i i don't like in the bigger scheme of things if my customers are happy everything else is secondary and that's the part we don't uh, make any compromise on and apart from uh, the nps i have two questions <laughs> first one is how how exactly do you track like uh, the success of your customer support team is it really like nps or is it the number of tickets is it like the the you know how fast do they answer etc cetera, etc cetera? Mm-hmm. Yeah, see, it's 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 an NPS, right? Because in the end, you're asking them. Uh, we we do ask them a lot of questions, but in the end, it's really about two things, right? You know, like you know, how would you rate WeFairs as a business, and would you recommend WeFairs to someone else, right? In the in the like at the crux is these two things. Uh, now, you know, the nature of our business is not that that one can resolve a ticket sometimes in two minutes or five minutes. That it really depends on the nature of the request, right? That you know, some things will be resolved in less than a minute. Others might take sometimes days because it's a It's, it's a request that we are trying to serve as as a customer request, right? But uh, it's typically NPS. Uh, but then leading up to NPS, and there are a lot of other metrics, right? Like you know, what's the satisfaction rate of the chat conversations we are having, and you know, what's the typical ticket resolution time? All of those are uh, more of leading metrics. But the end metric that we typically really judge ourselves internally is that you know, what is our typical NPS? And um... Whenever you know, like uh, you were mentioning, we have always like twenty percent uh, over staff, you know, on the on the support team. So, how exactly do you decide when to hire for support? Is this like, uh, do you have like a rule of thumb where you know, like, uh, number of clients equal number of support team, or how exactly does it work? Yeah, it's a rule of thumb. Uh, so, it's basically the number of customers. Um, is uh, we 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 know that what is the ratio that we typically need to serve a customer with and and our customer support staff so so it's purely based on that it's purely based on the number of active customers that we will have and based on that we will have uh, the number of customer support staff and again as i mentioned the reason that we usually have um, you know a bit extra bandwidth in our customer support staff is that we do get uh, throughout the year 2 3 4 months where you'll get influx of customers uh, because event business is such that there are some slow months and then there are some very busy months 
And you want to make sure that at least for those peak months, we still have the same kind of customer support that we will have throughout the year, right? So again, our, you know, again, 10 to 15% uh, our staff will have other projects. You know, it's not that they're setting idle. They are working on, you know, some other creative initiatives um, that we do internally. Uh, but then we're also ready for those peak months that we get, you know, three to four times in a year. So in total, how many people in your company would you say are like related to support out of the 257? Yeah. So um, between, again, see, we have also tech people who are part of support team, right? Because, uh, you know, but uh, roughly close to close to 100. So I oh. think other 267, close to 100 people are in that. In one form or another, they are in that particular category. Yeah. <laughs> Nice. That's that's really cool, and uh, <laughs> I I haven't seen like a lot of uh, companies doing it, but in the end, you know, it like uh, it makes a lot of sense. Um, I was uh, I was trying to understand and see, you know, like uh, we were discussing that you have both enterprise and also like mid market clients. Uh, the the average deal value that you gave me was uh, fifteen for like uh, mid market and twenty something for uh, enterprise. enterprise. So not such a huge difference. So I'm curious to dig in a little bit more into like uh, the the type of sales cycle that you have. Do you feel that there is a difference between the two? And if yes, can you walk us through maybe like the different points that you see uh, during the throughout the sales cycle? Yeah. Um, see, uh, there are there, there's not a huge difference up until now, and I will tell you why. And uh, eventually, this this will change as uh, as the market is going to go back to its uh, you know equilibrium stage right but just just you know i'm just going to kind of let the audience uh, you know rewind uh, two years back you know, like over the last two years what's happening is that customers are reaching out because they were planning to do their in person events and now they have to suddenly shift to virtual or hybrid events right so all of our customers in most cases are reaching out to us so that's why our typical sales journey to acquire an enterprise or mid-market is not very different up until now, right? Because all of these customers are reaching out to us to begin with, right? Mm -hmm. By the time they reach out to us, they already have an event in mind. They already have a date in mind. They already have a problem that needs to be solved, right? Versus when you're starting from scratch, you're trying to create, uh, again, urgency, you know, for a customer that may not have uh, an immediate need to try out a virtual event solution, right? And that's why... Uh, Typically, the average sales cycle with uh, uh, a mid market will be 30 to 45 days. With an enterprise, is going to be 60 to 90 days, just because each one of them start that early, right? You know, an enterprise customer is planning to do event at least with a three-month lead time because they have to market a lot, they have to sell a lot, and and so forth. There are still some customers who sometimes start a year early or or six months early because they're just huge customers. They have very big procurement cycle. But I'm giving you typically the average, right? Typical yeah. average for mid-market 30 to 60 days and then, you know, for enterprise 60 to 90 days. And then the reason they're both pretty much close to each other is that they have all been inbound to, to begin with at this point. Now, uh, again, with both enterprise and with both mid-market, there, there are huge ranges. Of course, when I say 15,000, 20,000, that's the average. But with enterprise, you know, we have had customers who will, uh, again, pay us less, but sometimes pay us in uh, six digits also because that's the kind of, you know, event that they are running. But by and large, you know, we help companies run events of all types. Sometimes it's a very, very small event where it's a sales kickoff meeting with only 50 people, and that's why they will pay us really less. But sometimes then they are running events where, you know, uh, big celebrities uh, like Michelle Obama or Meghan Markle are part of the keynote. 100,000 people are attending those events, and, you know, they are ticket sales and so forth. So you'll have, you know, typically high, high price point as well. But, you know, when you end up having 
thousand, two thousand customers, you know, the average pretty much, you know, comes out to be the numbers that I gave you. That's really interesting. And I'm curious because, uh, as you mentioned, events are not always throughout the year. Sometimes, you know, like people would prepare for like six months to do one event, like that one big event. Um, how exactly are you managing churn? Because, you know, uh, people are not always willing to use the product, you know, all year long. Absolutely. Uh, see, I think uh, for us, the way we the way we just measure churn is that, um, again, our typical licenses for 12 months, you know, you are allowed to uh, run X number of credits for events. You might have one credit, two credit, three credit. And uh, again, you might be a customer who is just going to do a sales kickoff once a year, right? Now, I gave you a license, 12 months, you can run one sales kickoff meeting. Now, you'll come back again the same the next year, same time to run the next sales kickoff. If you would run it, again, you know, you haven't churned, but if you won't run it, then, then you have churned as a customer, right? Uh, the idea is that we want our customers to see value in running events. And if they see that overall, they did find value of, of using a platform to run any event, right? Whether it's virtual or in-person or hybrid, right? Uh, they will continue to uh, keep on using this platform for years to come. Again, as I mentioned, even before COVID, you're growing 50% to 100% year on year. It's just that at that point, uh, you have to be a forward-looking organization to even think about it. Now, every company knows that something like this exists and you know it's for them to decide uh, whether they want to use uh, an online event platform or a hybrid event platform, in-person event platform. But typically, like in our industry, that's how you'll measure your churn. You just see that you know whether the next mm -hmm. year the customer is running the same kind of event or not. Okay, yeah, that's interesting. And uh, I'm, I'm curious, like... Uh... You mentioned that COVID gave you like a huge boost in uh, in terms of growth. So before like March 2020, two years ago, two and uh, two years and some months ago, let's say, <laughs> uh, what was your uh, annual recurring revenue at the time? Uh, it was uh, around two uh, million dollars. So uh, and okay. we were expecting that we'll go from two million dollars to three million dollars. Uh, so what happened is, of course, you know, rather than going from two to three million dollars over the next two years, we ended. Being at around thirty million dollars, yeah, yeah, <laughs> well, that's a that's a pretty pretty nice uh, surprise. <laughs> and uh, early on, you you mentioned that uh, your goal was to potentially do an IPO within the next uh, five years. Um, how exactly do you plan uh, to get there? Like, what's uh, the the next step and strategy? Yeah, see, the for for us, the strategy just pretty much remains the same, you know, and we typically say that internally, it's like, you know, the strategy that McDonald's follow, which is again, just make sure that you delight your customers, uh, you know, in the bigger scheme of things, uh, if need be, we can go ahead and do an IPO even right now. You know, there, there are many companies who have done an IPO who don't make money, who are losing money, you know, who don't have any profits, you know, so our, our numbers are there. It's just that you want to do an IPO when you know you have reached your equilibrium after the pandemic, you have settled down Uh, of, of finding out that, you know, okay, the pendulum went from this to this and, you know, exactly is going to come so that you can start showing growth and you can start predicting a lot more accurately how your next three, six, nine, 12 months are going to come so that, you know, that the shareholders of, of, of the company or whosoever kind of invest in the company can, can see that predictability in, in our growth. Uh, so the next uh, just three to five years is to stabilize our growth, hire the management team, and then build extra sources, extra channels of revenue, right? So again, by and large, our business still runs on word of mouth. So again, as I mentioned, we primarily care up until now only about our post sales, the customer support, the kind of service we are giving to the customers. 
Uh, the idea is to hire an outbound team, have channel partners, you know, uh, grow in few other territories uh, other than North America uh, and uh, you know Europe, where we are very strong at, you know, get into APAC, get into India, get into a lot of other countries. And you know, once once you have all of those building blocks that just form the foundation of a much more uh, uh, you know stable uh, company that can have predictable growth, you know, I think that's when we will go ahead with an IPO. And right now, your team is uh, fully remote. We have always been a remote first company, and you know, okay. even before um, COVID, like I, you know, we our employees used to tell their families or their friends that you know we are quarantined for the last six years. So you know, for, <laughs> we, we we know how to run a, a remote company. That's how the entire company was built from day one. And uh, we do have offices in certain countries where we have a, a sizable number of employees because some of those employees like to go uh, and and work from an office space. But by and large, it's a remote first company with few offices across the globe, you know, just purely based on the demand of those employees in those particular countries. Yeah. And uh, how exactly do you manage like, uh, you know, like a remote company of that size? Like what would be for you like the biggest challenges to uh, to keep like the, the team, you know, like uh, united behind the vision, getting like the same motivation and, uh, and keep growing? Yeah, see, I think for us, uh, and I know it has become cliche with time, but it's really the culture that that matters uh, the most. And the reason I say that that it's more true for us than for any other company uh, who who says uh, that is that see for us because our only focus at this point or leading up to this point has been that we have to have really happy customers. You cannot have happy customers unless you have extremely happy employees. You cannot serve your customers. You cannot help the customers unless you build a culture where the company employees help themselves or each other, uh, you know, as and when that's required, regardless of the department, regardless of the location and so forth, right? Uh, so for us, uh, maintaining that culture uh, where we are out there to help each other as and when needed. Uh, so our Slack is pretty active 24-7. You know, you go ahead and post a question in any of the groups and you will see people from all different locations and different departments helping out that particular person. Uh, and, and the way we do that is that we have just built certain... Uh, best practices internally, you know, um, things like having a daily huddle or a weekly town hall, uh, a monthly, um, you know, just KPI review. Can you expand on that a little bit, like the, the three? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so basically, uh, again, every manager typically run a daily huddle. Uh, and the idea of the daily huddle is just to have that catch up with the team and be able to see each other and, you know, ask them how well they are doing and so forth. So for us, that is pretty much mandatory um, as, as a best practice within our company that we will have a daily huddle in each and every uh, team. Uh, we have weekly town halls where, again, it's an all, uh, you know, all, all hands, uh, you know, just employee town hall where I, I go out there, people can ask me any questions, you know, there to answer everything from the business to the external market to internal projects and the progress of that. And then we have uh, bi-monthly, uh, again, town halls where managers and different employees and leader of the projects would come and present uh, just the performance of, of those things. And then we try to meet once a quarter also, you know, in different offices uh, so that, you know, we still get to meet each other in person. And then, you know, managers and employees themselves, they have their own monthly meetups, you know, they, again, you know, they, they're free to kind of, you know, uh, initiate on their own and, you know, meet as many times as they would want, whether virtual having unwind sessions or in person having, you know, just, just you know, a, a dinner or, or lunch. But uh, the daily huddle, 
the weekly all hands meeting the bi monthly town hall and then once a quarter meet up with the management uh, in person these are just few of the best practices that we have learned over the years no that's really cool and uh, i'm i'm curious like i have two questions first one is uh, the daily huddle that you are doing uh, how many people usually are in the team when they do that and how long does it usually last sure see the daily huddle uh, It's typically seven to eight people. So typically, okay. a manager should have six to seven reportees at max. You know, some of them have less, some of them have a little bit more. But but you know, I think you know you can say at max nine to ten people. The idea is to really uh, have a chance to uh, be able to give an update of what's happening in your life. You know, if you need any help, uh, are there any roadblocks and so forth, and get a small update of you know uh, where they need help to help them progress with with the rest of the week, right? Uh, on speaking, typically the, the the time duration of these hurdles uh, is blocked for 30 minutes, but most of the hurdles happen in 10 minutes or less, right? Because the okay. idea is not to waste those 30 minutes of any of the employees. It's really about uh, if there is a certain topic that uh, needs to be discussed uh, for for long, then you know you will you know take those entire 30 minutes. But otherwise, it's really about catching up with the people. You know, we all want to see each other, hear each other, ask for help, and that's just a uh, Uh, again, just uh, that builds as a habit that you know you will get to be able to talk to your manager and other uh, employees within your department at least once a day for five to ten minutes. If you have any questions for them, you know you can you can solve it as a group. And the uh, weekly town hall. How exactly do you like uh, set that up? Because my I'm assuming, but maybe that's not the case. That you know, with a company with 267 people being 260 people on Zoom. Uh, asking questions like is that something that people do or do people get a bit scared uh, you know with the new employees and everything like how how do you make these questions happen yeah see uh, it's natural for a new employee sometimes to feel shy initially but i think uh, what happened just with time is that uh, they would see that others are asking questions and these questions are asked you know in many cases by everyone from an intern to the rest of the management right and you know They will be questions of all times. These, these these questions of all type, right? These can be fun questions. These can be jokes, but these can be like really serious questions that you know typically anyone would would uh, face a bit of hesitation to ask to the CEO. But once they everyone see that any questions can be any question can be asked to anyone, mm -hmm. right? Because a question, uh, and again, you know, you know, it's not that, and any feedback also can be given, right? And again, as far as the feedback goes, you know, again, both ways, bi-directional, where. You know, sometimes the feedback is genuine. You know, you you take it and you 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 go ahead and explain uh, that. And, and sometimes, you know, you know, there are sometimes just miscommunications that you want to make sure that uh, you give the bigger picture of where the company wants to go and how they feel that they want to achieve. And you know, what everyone's contribution is to help us achieve that goal. Uh, but yeah, again, you know, see, when you build a culture where you know uh, there is no fear of asking question to anyone. Eventually, you know, uh, and by eventually I mean like you know, typically in two to four weeks, any new joiner just feel very confident they can ask questions to anyone, you know, in any forum, right? And you know, um, you don't you don't face that a lot. You only face that with you know some of the you know just new employees in, in the first couple of weeks, but after that, you know, they they all get to the habit. You know? And uh, the town hall is just questions to you, or is it questions to the entire management team? And uh... yeah, yeah, questions. Uh, the questions can be asked to anyone. Uh, again, there's there's uh, they are rest of the management team as well of course my job is just to be there to make sure that at least i answer that question or you know then anyone else if that question asks them you know they're able to support that but typically town hall is led by me uh, and again you know some of the other management team members are as well typically there's a small agenda that okay you know let us discover this as a topic for 
again, a 10, 15 minutes discussion that, by the way, this is where the company is going this quarter, and this is what we have achieved in the last uh, one week. But then the you know forum is open for everyone to, to really ask any type of questions. Town halls, uh, these these all hand meetings are, are very engaging. You know, typically again they're not meant to consume the entire one hour, but you know more often than not they always consume one hour because there are always questions or you know worst case scenario it's just a way for everyone to catch up and get to see the bigger team, not just their immediate team that they get to see in daily huddles. Nice, and uh, it's been almost yeah almost six years since you started like uh, the company as a as a bootstrapper. So in this podcast, I also love to share, you know, like the the tough times. What has been for you, you know, like uh, one of the the toughest time you faced or the biggest challenge you faced building like uh, such a big team in a, in a short amount of time? Yes, yeah, I see. I, I won't call it tough time. I will still call it a, a blessing. Uh, but the tough time was when the pandemic came, and when the pandemic came, uh, the challenge for us was that. See, wherever we are, we could have doubled or tripled our revenue. Uh, it's just that we have always been the company who wanted to get customers that we can serve really well, right? Uh, so during those one, one and a half years, we had to say no to a lot of customers. And that's always very painful because, you know, you know that the money is on the table. All you have to do is just pick up. But if we feel that that client is not the right fit or we are not the right fit for that particular customer, um, you know, that was a challenge. And uh, again, you know, the moment you say, yes, of course, we have our own just uh, discipline that what we have to uh, serve that customer. And just achieving that was very hard, you know, because, you know, overnight you have not just 100 customers that you are serving. Now you have 1,000 customers. Uh, so it was a lot of hard work. You know, we we didn't sleep for more than four hours for more than six months, uh, you know, wow. because that's how much uh, demand was there. And then again, it was seven uh, working days. And again, I think the challenge was less for me. It's just that, you know, for, for employees um, who are out there committed to serve these customers, but sometimes you just feel that, you know, uh, you know, they are, they are sick, but they're still working. So, you know, you feel bad about uh, yeah. a lot of that, but again, you know, I think uh, we are where we are because of our employees, because at that time, regardless of some of the person's situation, you know, someone has COVID, someone is not feeling well, someone has death in the family, um, but just their commitment to, again, help uh, achieve what we have achieved was just, uh, again, it was tough time, but at the same time, you know, uh, extremely rewarding for the company, tough as an individual, though. And uh, you mentioned that one of your goals was uh, the IPO and also that, you know, like the success, obviously, like in any company is, is mainly due you know, to the people you hire. So do you have like a, a, an, incentive, an incentive, you know, like strategy, so giving stock options or this type of things to employees, or are you more on the like MailChimp side, for example, which is uh, paying good salaries and potential bonuses? See, so, so yeah, uh, as of now, it's primarily us paying, uh, you know, more above market rate salaries to okay. all of our employees. Uh, ha having said that, uh, see, we have never brought in an investor yet. Uh, as and when we will bring in an investor, the idea is to create stock options for, for, for okay. at this point, um, yeah, yeah, it's just a very straightforward, um, you know, cap table that we have, and we want to stick to that. The idea is still to reward those employees as and when we get to that point. Nice, really interesting. Um, I want to wrap up like uh, the episode usually with a three fire question. First one being, uh, what's your favorite book or podcast? My favorite book is uh, Zero to One by by Peter Thiel. Like that has been one of my just very inspirational books that I have read long time back. 
Nice. Uh, favorite bootstrap founder and why? See, I'm I'm a big fan of Mailchimp, and you know, like what Ben uh, Chesnut achieved with Mailchimp, you know, bootstrapping the company from literally zero dollars all the way to you know, I don't know, seven hundred million dollars or something. Yeah, yeah, that's huge, <laughs> crazy, crazy story. And uh, your favorite thing to do to regain uh, energy or motivation uh, during tough times? Yeah, see, I think for for me, I'm a very hands-on manager. Uh, so, see. Anytime you know you 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 doubt um, you know anything in life, right? You know what you're trying to achieve uh, as as uh, as uh, an, an employee of a company or as someone who who's uh, running the company as a CEO. I talk to employees, you know, so there are 200 of them, and you know, once a year I will get a chance to literally talk to all of them, you know, if if, uh, and then you know you get to talk to customers. The moment you talk to employees, talk to customers, you they will tell you of you know what what you have built as a company and you know how much. Uh, their personal life um, have improved or their work lives have improved because of your product. And again, as soon as I have these conversations, you know, again, that just re-energizes uh, me as 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 an as a human, right? You know, of of uh, all the hard work that you know we have been doing for the past six years, and you know, just just makes you you know commit to the next decade of hard work as well. Awesome. Love it. <laughs> uh, where can people uh, find you, follow you, and uh, follow your journey? Awesome. Well, Younes, thanks a lot for uh, joining us on the podcast and uh, have an awesome day. Thanks you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Bootstrap Stories, the only podcast where bootstrap entrepreneurs share their journey in all transparency. If you enjoyed this episode, don't hesitate to leave us a review. And in case you want to see the interview, all episodes are live on the YouTube channel. Check out the link in the description and hit subscribe if you haven't already. Have an amazing day and make sure to also join us in our amazing Bootstrap community where we all helped each other to become successful and grow a profitable business. Take care and talk to you soon.